Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? He is risen. Isn't that a great message? He is risen. It's so happy to be here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hopefully you're excited to be here and you're excited about the resurrection. If you're excited about the resurrection, say amen. Amen. Excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because without him, there would be no hope for us, right? You know, there's an old tradition that goes way back to many countries and many different languages is when someone would say that he is risen, people would respond and say that he is risen indeed, right? So let's, let's try that this morning. I'm going to say he is risen and you say? Let's do it one more time. He is risen. Are you excited about that? Are you happy about that he is risen? Because the risen Lord, he overcame so many things upon that cross. He defeated sin, death, and Satan, our enemies up on that cross. And because he is risen, because he is alive, you and I have hope through Jesus Christ. We have life through Jesus Christ because of the risen, resurrected Christ. And we to celebrate him today. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 16. And there's an outline right back there, uh, right outside the door at the ministry counter. Make sure you get one of those. We have been looking at the the Gospel of Mark, the book of Mark, and we've been in a series the last few weeks, seeing Jesus clearly. This will be the last message of that series. But last week we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and then days later he would be crucified. It Mark, the author, was not the eyewitness of the events of Jesus. Uh, most believe the eyewitness behind Mark's accounts was Peter. That Peter would share these stories with Mark, and Mark, under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write them down, what we have today is the gospel of Mark. Our Mark's question from the very beginning of his gospel was, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus, and what are you going to do with him? And Mark portrays Jesus as the one who came to be the servant of all. Not to be served, but to serve. So if you have your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, we find in this passage that we're going to look at, if you have your outline, two ways we overcome through Jesus. And the first way, let me give you the first one right up front, let Jesus remove the obstacles that keep you from him. Let Jesus remove the obstacles that keep you from him. Let's read Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 together. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. We find that Jesus, just days prior, had entered into Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And there he had been falsely accused. He had been illegally tried. He had been mocked and spit upon. He had been bitten, uh, beaten within the very inch of his life. And now he hang on a cross. That was the worst death known to mankind at that time. And there he hung on a cross. On noon that Friday, he was hanging on that cross. The Bible says that the, that the skies went dark when he hung on that cross. So we have Jesus for three hours. The sky was dark. He hung on that cross from noon to 3 p.m. What was happening in those three hours when Jesus was on that cross? The Bible tells us that God placed the, the sins in the entire world upon Jesus. But why did he have to take three hours? Why three hours? Why couldn't have God have did it in five minutes? Why couldn't he have done it in a moment? Jesus would be over and it would all be done. I began to think of the physical beatings of Jesus that he went through. The strike after strike, the whip after whip, the beating after beating that he went through. And I thought to myself, perhaps 
In like manner, the spiritual beatings that Jesus had endured were, were like that too. Where Jesus, when he endured all the, the beatings, uh, uh, the, the spiritual beatings, when all the sins came up on Jesus, of the entire world that came, came upon him, came on like wave after wave, generation after generation, maybe family after family. And I began to think about that. I think I thought of my own sin. When did my sin, when was it placed upon Jesus? The sins that I committed before I came to Christ, the sins that I committed since I came to Christ, and the sins I'll commit in the future. When did my sins come upon Jesus? Was it at 1230? Was it at 110? Was it at 145? Was it at 210? I don't know. But I know all my sins were placed upon Jesus. When I began to look at that and understand that, that event of Jesus on the cross became more than just an historical event. became a personal event. That Jesus Christ died for my sins. And that my sins were placed on him at some time during those three hours. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And your sins were placed upon him sometime in that three-hour period. And at three o'clock, when the sins of the entire world were placed upon Jesus, the Bible says at that moment he gave up his spirit and he died. Voluntarily for our sins that he died. According to the Bible, at that moment, the curtain of the temple uh, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two. And now allowing the mankind to come into the presence of God through Jesus, to come into God's presence, and allowing all who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, every day, 24-7, we have access to the throne of God in prayer. Imagine that. We can come before the throne of God anytime we want. The Bible says we boldly come to the throne of God, that we don't need another mediator. That Paul tells Timothy, he says, there is only one mediator between God and man. It is the man Christ Jesus. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted him, if you put your faith in him, and you have accepted that mediator by faith, then you can go directly to the throne of God in prayer, is what the Bible says. Isn't that is amazing? That's wonderful that we can come to Jesus. But at 3 o'clock, Jesus' body died, and he was taken from that cross, and he had to be buried or placed in a tomb before sundown because at sundown, Sabbath started, and it was illegal to do that then. The Egyptians would embalm the bodies, kind of preserve the bodies. The Jews and Israel did not do that. And they would put perfume or spices on the body, but it wasn't to preserve the body. Putting those spices on was an act of adoration or devotion to that person. Apparently, there wasn't enough time to buy those spices before Jesus was placed in a tomb. So early that Sunday morning, after Jesus had been there, part of Friday, all day Saturday, part of Sunday morning, some ladies that are mentioned in this passage, they go to the tomb to put the spices on Jesus' body and to offer their adoration, their devotion, and the worship of Jesus. But there was an obstacle in the way. There was an obstacle, and they talked about it on the way. There was this obstacle, and it was the stone. Who's going to move away the stone? How are we going to get rid of the stone? The gravesite was from a wealthy man at the time named Joseph Arimathea. And it was actually to fulfill prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9, where it says this. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And that fulfilled the prophecy that Joseph Arimathea provided the gravestone for Jesus. And I have a picture up here for a tomb that I want us to look at real quick. This was not the exact tomb that Jesus was buried in, but this is similarly what they think it was like. You see, there's this large stone here, but when the stone would be rolled down, it would be like a, a decline right here, like a slope would go down and go down in this place where they'd roll this stone over this entryway 
of the tomb, and Jesus would be placed in there. So in order to roll back this stone, it would take several people to roll the stone back because you'd have to go back up this incline, back up the hill here. So they'd roll the stone in front of the entryway, and then they'd place a wax seal around that stone so nobody could move it. And then what they did, they thought because someone might steal the body, they placed Roman guards there because they didn't want the disciples to come and take away the body. And these ladies are thinking at that time, what are we, how are we going to remove this obstacle, the stone? We have an obstacle in our life. How are we going to move this obstacle, the stone? Many people have obstacles when they, before they come to Jesus, don't they? Many people have obstacles in their life, and they need these obstacles need to be removed. Let me read uh, what Matthew's account of this passage in Matthew 28, verse 1 through 2. He writes, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love when God removes obstacles from our faith. There was many years ago when I was pastoring another church, a man came to see me, and he says, I need to talk to you, pastor. He says, I need to talk to you about some things. And he began to share with me all these things that were in his life that were keeping him from coming to faith in Jesus. And what they really were were the obstacles that he had in his life. And he began to share with me over a long period of time all these obstacles. We got done with him sharing all the obstacles in his faith. I began to share with him the plan of God. And we began going through Scripture, how he could remove those obstacles, how he could overcome those obstacles in his faith. And after we got done going through all those obstacles, I said, is there any obstacles that will keep you from coming to Jesus? And the man answered me and said, you know, you've answered all my questions, and I have no more doubts. So that moment, that man accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And praise God for that. But listen, God removes obstacles. There's no obstacle that God cannot move. And sometimes those obstacles are so big that we can't move them on our own. But one of the biggest obstacles for people coming to Jesus is the obstacle of blindness. Of blindness. And I'm not talking about physical blind, blindness. I'm talking about spiritual blindness that people have. Remember the story? We just went through it a few weeks ago. Jesus coming out of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He has his 12 disciples with him. He has a large crowd with him. And there's a blind man on the side of the road named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus says to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He repeats it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then, and then I love the fact that this blind man realized he had a desperate need that only Jesus could meet it. There's only one who could meet it. But worse than physical blindness is spiritual blindness where people have, where they don't realize the need. They don't realize they need to be saved. They don't realize they need their sins to be forgiven. They don't realize it. They don't think their sins are bad enough that they need the cross of Jesus. They don't think they've done enough bad things. And they're spiritually blind. And many times they come because they don't want to have help with their own, they want to have help with their problems. They have this mentality, I can solve my own problems. Am I the only one like that? Don't like to ask for help. I can solve my own problems. I can do this myself. I don't need any help. I can find my own way. But this problem we're talking about is way too big. The problem is our alienation, our separation from God because of our sin. Blindness becomes, spiritual blindness becomes a huge obstacle to us. And the pride that goes along with it. And that spiritual blindness to our own need that we need to be reconciled to holy, just, righteous God. And we don't see it. So we go around spiritually blind, and it becomes an obstacle to us. We don't even realize how lost we really are. We don't realize how much we need Jesus. And it's spiritual blindness. 
But there's an ob another obstacle that I've noticed over the years with people. It's the obstacles of our own failures, of our own sins. And sometimes we think, you know, we failed so much. I've done so many bad things, and I've done so much. And I've heard people say over the years, you know, I would love to come to Jesus, but you don't know what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. You don't know how many things that I've done. That I need some kind of rehab in my life. Get my life right before I can present myself to Jesus. I need to do some things and get these things right before I can come to Jesus. Well, that sounds wonderful. It's a horrible idea. It's a horrible idea that doesn't work. Because it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter at all what you and I have done. It doesn't matter at all. Saul who became the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the New Testament books before he came to Christ. He murdered Christians. He went after Christians to murder them. And God took all Paul's sins and placed them upon Jesus on the cross. He took all of my sins, and he placed them upon Jesus on the cross. And he took all your sins, every one of your sins, and he placed them upon Jesus on the cross. See, there's no sin that we can commit that is greater than the grace of God provided through Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no sin that we can do that say, oh, God said, I didn't die for that sin. Every sin that we did, every sin we're going to do, has been covered by the cross of Jesus Christ. God's grace is larger than that. The, the cross is provided forgiveness for everyone. So Jesus can actually say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And he promises to give us rest. It's real. He honestly can say that. doesn't matter what we've done. He can't say, well, tell me the things you've done. No. He says, come to all, come to me. And I promised to relieve your burdens. Matter of fact, he says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love and this for us and this. While we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. He died for us. You know how you come to Jesus? You just come as you are. Isn't that beautiful about the cross? The cross tells you and I that we just come as you are. That you bring all your stuff, all your sins and all your past and all your failures and all that junk, all those loads you've been carrying for years. And he said, you just bring it to Jesus. And he promises cleansing and relief is what he promises to every one of us. You will find that Jesus will take away that burden and all that worry and all those things, and he will give you salvation. He will give you hope. He will give you eternity. He will give you peace. He will give you his righteousness. He will give you freedom and liberty from all those things. He will take away your shame and your, all those things. He will take them upon himself. But we have to ask God to help us remove those obstacles in our life. We come to say, God, remove this obstacle. Let me get out of it. That I've created this obstacle and this illusion that there's something in front of me that is not. God, I can come to you freely and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But there's a third obstacle I've run into a lot over the years, and it's the obstacle of doubt. Is it wrong to have doubts? No, no, it's not wrong yet. We all doubt it sometimes. Every one of us in the room is doubted about things. But don't allow those doubts to keep you from coming to Jesus. Don't allow it to become an obstacle. Ask God to remove those doubts. Ask God to get rid of those doubts in my life. See, Jesus ran into those doubts while he was here on this earth. It was a couple of days earlier on that Thursday afternoon when he was in the upper room with his disciples and he's trying to teach them and share with them and they're concerned. They're concerned, Jesus, what's going to happen to us? We don't even know what's going to happen to you. What's going to happen to us? And they're concerned. And Jesus shares with them to calm their nerves. And he shares with them in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, and listen to the simplistic, listen to the loving way that Jesus responds to them. 
It's so heart moving that he's filled with compassion. You can tell that he hears their voices, doesn't, doesn't ignore their concerns, but he shares with them. And this is what he says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you, may, you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus basically says, disciples says, what's going to happen to us and where are you going? And Jesus said, listen, listen, you've been walking with me for three, you know, these few years now, these three, three and a half years. And he says, what you need to do is trust in God, trust also in me. You can trust me. And I'm telling you, in my father's house, there's many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back for you because I want you to be with me forever and ever. And one day I'm coming back for you. That's what he was sharing with him. And he said, you know the way on, where, where I'm going. You know how to get there. And Thomas, one of his disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And if I was Jesus, you ought to thank God every day that I'm not Jesus. But if I was Jesus, Thomas, who is often called Doubting Thomas, right? And, and Thomas has this obstacle to his faith. And what is it? His own doubt. It's his own doubt. But if I was Jesus, I would say, Thomas. I've told you this before. Where were you when I told you that I have to go to Jerusalem, I have to go there and suffer and die, that I've come from heaven, that I am the Son of God, that I'm God, and I'm here to do God's work. I've got to do that. Where were you? Why weren't you listening, Thomas? Why aren't you listening? You read this passage in John chapter 14, and Jesus doesn't remind Thomas of what he told him in the past. He doesn't remind him that of all. But he wanted to remove the obstacle of Thomas' faith. He wanted to remove his doubt. That's what he was concerned about, Thomas's doubt. Not what he told him before. He knew that Thomas didn't get it, so let me explain it to you. When Thomas asked Jesus, he says, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. Tell me how you get there. And Jesus lovingly and gently says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. From a human point of view, if Thomas would have never doubted, think about this, if he never would have doubted, we would never have that amazing verse of John 14, 6 that has calmed in the fears of so many people, thousands if not millions of people ever since then, where Jesus simply says to not only Thomas, to the disciples, to every one of us, when we're wondering, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? How do I know the way? How do I, how do I get to God the Father? How do I have my sins to forgiven? How, where is eternity? And Jesus simply says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus was saying, I'm the only way. There's no other way. And I'm, I'm the one that gives eternal life. And it's all through me. It's only one way, and it's through Jesus. It's through a person. There was a man who lived in Battle Creek, Michigan. He was a young boy named Josh. He, he grew up in the rural area, and he was far from perfect. He was a victim of abuse, and he was trying to figure out life, trying to find the, the solution for the emptiness was on the inside. So he began to go to a church. He went to a church and later wrote that, I must have went to the wrong church because there was more problems inside of the church than was outside the church. So after he graduated high school, he went off to college university. Because he thought, I'll find all my answers at the college university, right? 
I see some of you shaking your head. What? He said, I'll find all the answers. And at the university, he said, I'll go there, and I'm going to find meaning to this emptiness in my heart, this meaningness to life. And, and he says, I'm going to hang out with the intellectuals. They're going to teach me so much. But he found out that that didn't solve his problems. Even those brilliant professors couldn't do it. And, or his immersion, he says, into the subject matter of learning couldn't do it, couldn't address the problems of his heart. So he decided the next best thing was just to live life, that he would just party on the weekends, and, and that's what he did. He went out, started on Friday night, then went through Sunday night, and then Monday morning began the grind, and week after week after week, just partying all up, and he found out that it was just covering up the emptiness was on the inside. He said there was a group of students there, there's about eight students and a couple of faculty members who were Christians, who were followers of Jesus that he liked to make fun of. But he said that he wanted what they had because they were happy people. They were always laughing and smiling, had joy. And he says, I wanted what they had. So he began to hang around them only to challenge their belief system. But what he found out, he said, they were challenging him. He said, they were challenging me. He says, what I was believing. And they would ask questions that I couldn't answer. And I, I had no way to answer those. And I wondered what they had. I wanted that happiness. I wanted that joy which they had. But there was this huge obstacle that was in his life. And it was, the obstacle was, how do I know that this Bible is true? How do I know that I can rely on this word of God? So in his pre-law studies in which Josh was studying, he took to his learning and, and took what he was using in the pre-law studies to, to research it, to find out if this was true and imply it. If this book, the Bible, is really what it's said to be, the infallible word of God. Is it really God's word? And he did his research and study. At the conclusion of his research and study, Josh says that this book, the Bible, is God's word, and you can trust it. It is the truth, and it's reliable, and I can trust it. So those Christians he was hanging out thought that now Josh was a believer. But Josh still had another huge obstacle in his life, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He couldn't fathom in his mind, how could a man live and then die and then live again? It made no sense to him. How could that possibly be? But that question goes all the way back to the book of, of Job. And the book of Job in the Old Testament is placed chronologically during the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. And the question is asked way back there, if a man dies, can he live again? If a man dies, can he live again? And throughout the Old Testament, God has answered that question emphatically over and over and over again, yes, 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 he can. And then there came that time and that day when Jesus' good friend Lazarus died. And Jesus was late getting the funeral on purpose. He arrives four days later after, jo after Lazarus was in the tomb, and he goes up to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were grieving, and Jesus challenged them, and he says this to them in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. It, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? Now, Jesus was asking that question individually to Mary and Martha, but ultimately, every one of us on the face of this earth who's ever lived has to give an answer to that question. Do you believe this, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Josh after his study on the resurrection, he came to the conclusion that the biblical account is true, that the eyewitnesses were credible and accurate in all that they said, and that Jesus did rise from the dead, and that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus really is God. 
And Josh gave his life to Jesus, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. But then Josh realized, because he had doubts, there's probably so many other people out there that have doubts. So he began to write many books that would help people find a way through their doubts through God and what he did. And the one book that he wrote is, this book is more than a carpenter. And it's a fantastic little book that he wrote. And I share this book because it gives you the truth of another person's doubts and their search to find the truth. And if you have doubts today, I want you to pick up one of these books I got on either side up here on this stage. Just come up. You say, man, I, I have doubts about Jesus or the resurrection. I'm not really sure about it. Pick up one of these books. It'll greatly help you because Josh had doubts, and many of us had had doubts. But Josh did the research. He looked into it in depth to find out the truth, and he came away and answered many of the questions, if you have doubts today, that you probably have. But if you're here today and you have doubts, it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. But don't die with your doubts. Don't die with your doubts. Ask God to remove your doubts. Don't sit here and, you know, I don't believe in the resurrection. Have your reasons, but research it for yourself to find out the truth. Is this true? Don't just don't think in your mind, how could that be? Really research it to find out for yourself. And I believe you'll come to the same conclusion as Josh McDowell did in his research. This book will be up front. Pick up one. Please come and get one and read it. I'd love, if you have any questions, to talk to you about it. But the first thing we find in this passage is Jesus wants to remove our doubts that keep you from him. Not only does he want to remove our doubts, but the second way we overcome through Jesus, let Jesus turn your fear to faith by his resurrection. Let him turn your fear to faith by his resurrection. Let's read Mark chapter 16, verse 5 through 8. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When you read in the Old Testament about a young man that was dressed in white, Normally, you would just say, say that this is, this is kind of supernatural, God's representative, God's messenger, uh, an angel. That's what it is. It's really an angel. He might have looked like a young man dressed in white, but he was angelic. It's angelic. That's who it is. It's an angel. And these women are coming up to the tomb. Remember all the things that are going on in their life, just a couple days, these last couple days, what they've endured. They're expecting the stone to be there, and the stone has now been removed. And they're going into the tomb, and they're thinking to themselves, has the body been removed? And you know what that's like in your own life, where something happens in your life, and you, you can't explain it. And all kind of things are going through your mind. You have all these questions that are going through your mind of what has happened, what's, what this and that. And that's what's happening with these women right now. That's what's going on. They're asking, was the body stolen? Do we have the right tomb? Are we in the right place? All those questions are going through their mind. And they went in the tomb, and this young man is dressed there in white, and he's basically there to resolve, resolving the issues and answering the questions. That's basically why he's there, to resolve those issues that they have and answer the questions. He's asked, he says to them, Jesus of Nazareth is not here. This is where they laid him. He says, this is where then. So now they know they have the right tomb, right? He tells them, he was right here. This is where they laid him. So they ask, was the body stolen? No. He was here. He has risen. 
go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee like he told them before he died. The Bible says the ladies were alarmed. The definition of the word alarm means profound fear and distress. That is the same word used of Jesus just a few days earlier. Where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. The same word alarm, that Jesus profoundly distressed of what was going on. The angels were to turn their faith into fear by the message of the resurrection. It's so important we see that. Turn that fear in, in, into, uh, into faith. It is the words of God that will give us faith, that will over, help us to overcome fears. When they, when they reassured them with the words of saying, he's alive, he is not here, that he's conquered sin, death, and Satan. One of the biggest fears of mankind, of people, is the fear of death. It's the fear of the dying process. It's the fear of being unforgiven by God. It's, it's the fear of, of eternity with all the questions of the unknown, right? We have those fears. All of us have those. Those kind of fears that go through our heart and mind sometimes. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, he said this, there's a broad road that leads to destruction and many enter it. But then he goes on and he says, but there's a narrow road that leads to life everlasting and very few find it, is what he says. One of the things I've heard people say over the years, which I disagree with, as they say, there are many roads to heaven. There's many roads to God. You just have to find a way and get on it, and we're all going to arrive in the same place anyway. According to Jesus, that's not true, right? That's not true. Well, let me just say, we're, we're all going to see God. Every one of us will see God. Every one of us. Every one of us. No matter what we believe, no matter what we've, been, what we've done, no matter what we've embraced as truth, all of us will see God. And when we see God, there we'll, we'll determine where we will spend eternity. Everyone will see God. So in one way, they all lead to God. But at that moment, we determine where you spend eternity. And the Bible says those who take the broad road leads to destruction, have chosen a pathway that does not involve Jesus. They've rejected Jesus. They have gone their own way, did their own things. They say, I, I don't need Jesus in my life. I can live this life myself. They say when they see God, they have an appointment that's been made a long, 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 long time ago. When they see God, they will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And those cold words will be the last words they will ever hear before they spend an eternity in torment. Depart from me, I never knew you. Think about that. Depart from me, God saying, I never knew you. Be forever apart from God. Never have another chance to come before God. I never knew you. The fear of the unknown is taken away only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. Those who by faith believe in Jesus, who he is, that he's the son of God, that he's God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for your sins. Those people accept Jesus. We'll see him face to face, and they will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Come into my kingdom. The only difference for each one of those groups is the resurrected Christ, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only difference. There's no other difference. And for those on this road, the fear of death and the fear of standing before a holy God is taken away. The fear is gone. We have nothing to fear as we stand before a holy God. 
See, when a person knows Jesus, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they die, and they leave this life, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to be present with Jesus. Because when we die, it's just this outer shell, this body, this physical body that dies, but our soul and spirit lives forever. And once we die, we leave, and we go to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And Jesus wants us to understand that. Those who have accepted me, you will be with me forever. He wants to take away the fear. He doesn't want us to fear death. He doesn't want us to fear the future. He doesn't want us to fear the unknown. He doesn't want us to fear as we stand before a holy God. He says, if you accept me, if you put your faith in me because I am the way, the truth, and the life, because if you come to me, you have no fear. You have direct access to God the Father. You have no fear. You go to heaven. He said, I want to take away the fear because the Bible makes it very clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every one of us are sinners. And there's no one righteous. What that means is that not one of us is right with God on our own. Not one person. But it goes on as the wages of sin is death. And when it talks about that, it talks about a spiritual and physical death. That every one of us are spiritually dead. And we're physically dying the moment we're born. We're going to die one day. But it goes on and says, but the gift of God, it, 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 but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, it says. It's through Christ. The Bible goes on to say, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. What it means when we had enmity with God, when we were God-haters, not when we were likable, not when we liked God, we were God-haters, Jesus chose to die for us. When we were his enemies, he chose to die for us. So you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to rehab yourself before you come to Jesus. You don't have to say, boy, I got to get this all right to present yourself to Jesus. The Bible says that he cleans us up. And if we accept Jesus, he will clean us up from the inside out, and it will make us as white as snow. The book of Romans says, in, in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what that means, to call upon the name of the Lord, is not when I run out of money, not when it's time to pay the rent or mortgage, not when it's time when the, when the car's about to go off the road. When it's call, out, call upon the name of the Lord is where you come and we say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and he died on the cross for my sins. And I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior. The Bible says that when we do that, we are saved. Our sins are forgiven, and that puts us on the narrow road that leads to life everlasting through Jesus. There's only one road that does that, and it's through Jesus. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples right before he's crucified, that I am the way. Get this. I'm the only way. There's no other way. That's why he says, narrow is the road to heaven. It's through one person. There's only one way. For broad is the road to destruction. And it doesn't say you take your road and you might be lead to destruction. Every time that people go their own way, it always, always leads to destruction. That's what he says. It always does. I want to do today, I want to close my message like I like to do Easter, that if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, and but today, maybe for the very first time, you've understood who Jesus is, that you understand that he died on the cross for your sins, and, and, and that he rose from the dead. And maybe today, before you came in, you had these obstacles, all these things in your life, your failures, your sins, your doubts, your questions, all these kind of things you had in your life. And now, the Holy Spirit has removed it. 
and say, this can't keep me from coming to Jesus, and all the obstacles are gone. And maybe today, for the very first time, you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you still have doubts and questions, maybe you're not ready to accept, accept Jesus today. But I want to give you an opportunity. By the way, I want, to, I want to lead you in a prayer called the sinner's prayer. But this prayer doesn't save a person. Let me just say that. It's faith. The Bible says, for it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved in Jesus Christ. So it's you and I coming to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for my sins. And I'm a sinner who can't save myself. If you've come to that point, you understand that. You say, I know that, and you're ready to receive Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning, give you that opportunity. I don't want to lose this opportunity and give you an opportunity to accept Jesus today. So if everyone could bow their head and close their eyes this morning, please do that and pray this prayer. I'm going to first pray to God, and then I'll tell you when to just repeat after me. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to do it this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would draw every person to yourself. If there's anyone here that don't know Jesus yet, I pray that you would lead them in this prayer. If you don't know Jesus, then repeat after me this prayer silently to yourself. Today, I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God. And that he died on the cross for my sins. And today, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. I trust him as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, if you accepted Jesus, amen. Like I said, it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's you coming to that point in believing that, that prayer just drives that stake in the ground, that you said yes to Jesus today. I said yes to him. If you did that, pick up one of these books on the side. It'll help you understand the life that God has called you to live. If you still have doubts about Jesus and the resurrection, pick up one of these books. Please pick up one of these books and get those questions and doubts resolved in your own hearts. For all of you who know Jesus as your Savior, praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God for the resurrection. He is alive. He defeated sin, death, and Satan. Our enemies, those were our enemies, whether we realize that or not, those are our true enemies. Sin, death, and Satan. And Jesus defeated them upon the cross. He did that for you and I. And all who believe in him, all who put their faith and trust in Jesus, have everlasting life through him. Through him. Amen? He is our living hope. And it's because of God's amazing grace and faith through Jesus that you and I have eternal life, that we have forgiveness. And it's all because of the resurrection, all because of his resurrection that Jesus defeated these for us. So we celebrate the resurrection. Do you realize every Sunday morning is supposed to be like Easter? We're come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to do today is celebrate Jesus. Celebrate that he is alive, he is risen, and because of him, we have a hope in eternity with him that's greater than anything we can imagine. Greater than anything we can imagine. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear anything because we know because of Jesus is alive, we will be with him one day if we put our faith and trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We praise you. 
We praise you. We praise you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and you chose to die. No one forced it. But you voluntarily came to come to this earth to live and to go to the cross and die for our sins. Thank you. Lord, that's all we could say is thank you. Thank you. There's nothing we can do to repay you. There's nothing we can do. But, Lord, I pray that each person realize that you came to die for their sins. And then on that third day, on that first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, you rose from the dead to defeat sin, death, and Satan. And all who put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, have eternal life, have their sins forgiven, have a hope in eternity that's forever with you. So I pray for anybody that doesn't know Jesus this morning. I pray for their soul. I pray if they accepted Christ this morning, praise God. But Lord, if they still have doubts, Lord, help them with their doubts. For all of us who know Jesus, it all depends upon the resurrection. It all hinged upon the resurrection. Everything we believe in hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because he was resurrected, because he has risen, because he is alive, we have hope in eternity and sins forgiven and eternity with Jesus forever. We never have to fear death. We never have to fear one day to face God because we know he will welcome us into his kingdom because of Jesus. We praise you and thank you. Lord, be with us. Help us to celebrate the resurrection. Help us to have... Uh, joy in our hearts and be happy because of this. That no matter what comes in our life, Lord, we should be filled with joy because of the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.